Good morning. Welcome to the services here at La Prada Church of Christ on this uh, rainy, cool day. Hope you've had a great weekend. Sure glad to see you here. Pray that what I prepared to say this morning, you'll find applicable to your life. And, uh, and hopefully we can all walk a little stronger forward than, uh, than we've been in the past. By chance, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to take just a moment to welcome you here to the services. We are so glad that you chose to, to come visit with us today. Uh, our hope is that you'll stick around for a few minutes after church, give us a chance to say hello, introduce ourselves, let you know just how, uh, how much it means to us that you chose to, to come worship with us this morning. You know, today is Mother's Day, right? So I want to start out by saying Happy Mother's Day. We've got a lot of mothers in the audience. Such an honorable job that you've chosen to take on and uh, really impact and change the scope of the world, specifically uh, impacts the church and God's kingdom with the little ones that, uh, that we're blessed to raise and take part in. It's a daunting job, and uh, all too often uh, you're not told how important you are and, and, and how much we love you and, and respect what you do uh, and all you do. You know, it's this day that uh, has been chosen to be the, the day we honor our moms. Celebrate our moms and how they play such a big role in our families, but also in society as a whole. You know, this morning, like any day, this morning, there are moms with us that, that are new moms. At the same time, we've got those that have kids that have kids that have kids. You know, mom can take on the, through different phases of life, take on different positions in what they do and, and how they operate. But like anything, uh, we've got some moms with us that, that quite frankly feel overwhelmed. Um, it's a lot going on. It can be an overwhelming experience. Then we have other moms that have reached a point in their life where their children are a little bit older and, and, and their job is, is much more peaceful. You know, they get to enjoy the relationships they have with their, their kiddos, get to enjoy life and the better parts of, of being a, a, a more of a friend than a parent, uh, which, is, which is truly, I would suppose, one of the biggest blessings a Christian mother can have. But then, unfortunately, we also have those that, uh, that this day is kind of sad or disappointing. Due to experiences that they've gone through, things that have happened between you and your mothers, or perhaps, perhaps your mothers, and, and, and it's the, the things that have happened with your children. And then let's not forget those that kind of kind of get sad because their moms have passed. They're no longer with us, but we have the memories that, uh, that they left behind. This day can be a day full of all kinds of emotions. But you know, regardless of your feelings around motherhood, it's, it's consistently tough. It is tough to be a mom. I would suppose that raising kids right now is probably harder than it's ever been, I would say, in, in, in the lifetimes of anyone here. You know, we've got a society and a, a school system that is perverted in what they teach. It goes against every aspect of our faith, and yet... 
castigates us as being the hater or being one with prejudice. But yet it's our job to reinforce it and stand for what's right. It's a tough job. But it's a tough job that God has given you because he knows that you are the right person for that job. You know, moms are, are unique. And when they take on the title mom, that title is rendered at conception. The Bible tells us that. Science in the past few years has proven that. That at the point of conception, you take on the title mom. And the choices you make directly impact that child and their life from the womb through death. What an awesome responsibility. But with that comes tremendous reward in the sense that you get to see that child grow up to be the Christian man or woman that they've been called to be in most cases. You know, moms are unique in that their job covers all kinds of professions. If you're a mom, then you get to be a doctor when your kids are hurt. You get to be a nurse when it comes time to patch the child up after they've skint their knee or whatever accident may have occurred. You get to be a coach, teach them how to play a sport. Play a game, play an instrument. You get to be a trainer. Teaching them how to work forward to build on whatever initiative they've taken to become better at it. Let's not forget that you get to be a teacher. You get to be a tutor. When they come home with math homework and you haven't done that homework in 30 years and they've changed the way they do it. That's you, Mom. You get to be... A taxi, you get to be a chef. You get to be a maid. Pick up them dirty dishes and that that pile of dirty clothes that the child forgot to put up, right? You get to be a hairstylist. I've got to witness that many times with our five. When the girls freak out because they've got a big event and the hair's not cooperating, and mom, what do I do? This looks terrible. Mom saves the day. You figure out something to do with the hair on top. You know, you sum all of that up, and what is that? How do you best describe that? You describe that as being a parent. That's indeed what it is, right? We're parents. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning discussing some of the the verses, specifically a passage, although there are many verses, about parenting. About parenting our youth. Because this message is going to speak not only to the moms but also the dads, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, our church family, brothers and sisters, anyone that takes a vested interest in that child's future and their salvation. It all applies to you. There's not anyone here that's exempt from that. So this morning I'm going to concentrate specifically on four areas spoken of in Psalms chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to reflect back on these throughout, uh, throughout the, my comments this morning. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in, the parable, in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. 
showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children with which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Sorry, trying to get to uh, figure out how to use the remote here. We're going to concentrate on this passage this morning. You'll notice that I'm not speaking on the Proverbs 31 woman. I think traditionally we hear that. No doubt that's a beautiful chapter. Defines and gives an example of a strong Christian woman, a mother. It's definitely an, an example that we need to strive to take on, but more specifically this morning, we're going to concentrate on raising children. You know, first, I think we need to concentrate on the first four verses. The first four verses. I apologize. I thought I had my slides in mind. First four verses. What do they deal with? They teach us that our children need to be aware of God's greatness. See, these verses speak to the incredible history of the nation of Israel. These people were responsible for passing on to the next generation the great things that God had done for them. Now, we can also read of that in Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. And my signs, which I have done among them, that they may know how that I am the Lord. So what do we get from this? We get that, that it's our job to teach our children about the greatness of our God. But how do we tell our children about the awesome things that God has done? Well, that takes time. That takes intentional acts to convey that. Because we're to remind our children that God is above all things and nothing is too difficult for the Creator. We're to teach our children that our God is a God of miracles. Now indeed, the miracles that, that we see today are not like those of the Old Testament. But God works in our lives on a daily basis. And it's our job to teach our children about the majesty of God. Psalms 145, verses 1 through 5. says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy acts. 
I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works. So as parents, we are to share and to teach our children how God works in our lives on a daily basis. Is that easy? Do we recognize on a daily basis where God works in our lives? You know, it's very easy to get caught up at work, caught up in the, in the craziness of the day, and not really give thought to the fact that, that God's doing amazing things all around us for us. And if we're too busy at the time to recognize it, yet we're charged with conveying it to our children regularly, how is that going to work? How are we to ensure that they understand the true magnificence of God? Well, that means we've got to start out by studying Scripture with them. They need to understand the stories of old found in the Old Testament. A few that I've referenced here. But not just the stories of old. They need to understand the stories of today. How God is working in your life, in your family's life, in your church family's life. You see, it's our job to teach them at a young age how fortunate we are to have what we have. One of which is to live in a great country where we can worship him without that fear of persecution. But you could break that down to a very intimate level concerning your family and the trials that they witness within the walls of your house. Taking time to explain to them that oftentimes in life it seems as though there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but yet God works in mysterious ways and, and suddenly there's not only a light, there's a bright light at the end of that tunnel. Do our children understand that that's not coincidence? That that's God taking care of his children? You know, after all, if, if our children don't see God working in our lives... If they fail to understand that, what he's done for his people since the beginning, even unto today, how are they ever going to recognize God's work in their life as they get older? It's our job to ensure that they see that. Next, I would say we need to consider verses 5 and 6. And we'll read that. Psalm 78, verse 5 and 6. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. It's our job to teach our children God's word. We all know that as Christians. We understand that. And today, in this morally confused world, it's God's Word that provides the cornerstone to build a life. It's the only thing that will not falter. And 
consider in these verses, they're speaking to who? To the fathers, the forefathers rather, their children, the children, and yet the children to be born. In total, they're speaking to four generations here. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget these things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So what do you take from that? I'd say for our grandparents here this morning, when you've accomplished the mission, when the kids are out of the house, they're on their own, they're adults, your job's not done. It's not done because it's at that time that you start to get blessed with these grandkids. It's at that time that you start to get to influence our grand, your grandchildren's spirituality. You know, a grandparent's relationship is a very special relationship. Oftentimes, I think we've heard the, the analogy that, you know, the grandparent's job is to spoil the kid and send them home. And within reason, that's a great program. Grandparents don't have the stress of discipline on a regular basis. They get to enjoy the good times. Let mom and dad deal with the, the tough times. They get to mentor mom and dad that they get to have a relationship with their grandchild that is unique, like unto nothing else. You know, that's a great place to be, and it's that advice, those experiences, that insight that carries on with that child for years and years to come, long after the conversation has been held. Why? Because they respect you, they love you, and they value your opinion. Grandparents play an important role in a child's life. Now, when it comes to preaching God's Word and teaching God's Word to our children, it's not always easy. It's not easy for a lot of folks. You know, we, of course, can look at Ephesians 6, verse 4. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Most are familiar with that verse, and indeed, that is a very critical verse when it comes to raising children. To provoke our children to anger, where they lash out, is not a good thing. It's driving a wedge between you and that child, and driving a wedge between that child and our Lord and Savior. How they view it. it prevents us from having an impact when we go to preach God's Word, teach God's Word to our kiddos. But you see, oftentimes it's not that we're provoking our children that, that's the stumbling block, if you will, within our homes. A lot of times it comes down to a lack of knowledge and understanding and our part as the parent. We don't feel comfortable sitting down and having that Bible study because in the back of our mind, we're, we're assuming the worst-case scenario that the child's going to ask us a question that we ought to know and we don't know the answer to. Therefore, we're losing respect with that child and worse yet, we're demonstrating to that child that we don't care enough about God's Word. We don't know it. And that is the entire wrong approach to our kids. We are not expected to have all the answers. But we are expected to get the answers. 
And it is quite all right to look them in the eye and say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that scripture means, but I'm going to get you an answer. And when you tell them that, it's critical that you actually take the time to get the answer and report back and let them know the answer. They need to understand that mom and dad don't always know everything. But mom and dad know how to find the answers out to scriptural questions. And it's a good thing for parents to learn at the same time that the child is learning. That's not a bad thing at all. And we are blessed in the sense that we have this morning, if you look to your left, right, your front and back, you have brothers and sisters all over this auditorium that would love to be a part of that process for you. They're a phone call away. They would gladly go over Scripture with you. Gladly explain Scriptures to you so that you can turn around and share that knowledge with your child. And then in some cases, they'd be glad to join the studies if invited. But as parents, we've got to swallow our pride and recognize that it's okay to not have all the answers. The point that we fail is whenever we don't sit down to engage, or worse yet, we don't pursue the answer in return. We've got to take time to sit down and study. We've got to overcome our fear of not knowing. Not knowing is okay. But you know, there's another stumbling block. That other stumbling block is time. I'll tell you right now, this is where I stumble. This is where I struggle. It's the lack of time that prevents us from sitting down and studying Scripture with our kids. Because the reality is your kids live within your home. They see what you do. They see how you respond. And they know from watching you over a period of years that things that matter to you, you've got time for. So at the point that our lives are too busy to sit down and study scripture with our kids is the point that we're telling our kids that scripture doesn't matter because we've got to go to a ball game. Doesn't matter because we've already got plans to go to a dinner date. Doesn't matter because you name it, we all live it. There's so many excuses. The reality is we've always got time for things that are important to us. And our kids know it. If we want God's word to be important in the lives of our children, they've got to understand that God's word is important in our lives today. You know, biblical instruction wasn't ever intended to begin at church. Biblical instruction was intended to begin in the home. Do we take time to have biblical instruction take place within the confines of our houses? Do we take the time and take, the, take advantage of the teaching opportunities that occur in our child's life on a daily basis, in our life on a daily basis? Oftentimes our kids know the struggles that we're going through. They recognize when mom and dad are, are stressed. They recognize when things are tough. Do we ever follow that up with, look what God's done for us? 
Look how God worked in our life. Do we take advantage of those teachable opportunities? I hope that we'll pay more attention to that. Take advantage of it. Consider Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I'm sorry the, the print on that's pretty small, the font rather. But let's, uh, let's read chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love, thy, lo- love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. All these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt, excuse me, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on the gates. It's basically covering from the point you wake up to the point you go to sleep within the confines of your home God's presence, God's word but you know let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 18 and 19 it says therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your head that thou may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach them your children speaking of them When thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I'm just curious. When we study scripture and we run across verses like this, language like this that's repetitive and all-encompassing, do we ever take a moment to see how that needs to apply to our lives? How do you apply that to your life today. How does this apply to your home? I would venture to say all of us struggle in that nature. None of us are perfect, right? But there's probably some small things that we could do that would lean itself towards accomplishing just that. Scripture tells us that we should be steady and consistently teaching and talking about God's Word in every aspect of our lives. So the question really comes down to, how do you measure up? Because how you measure up is how your children are viewing God in your house. And it's not just these passages. There's other passages that are very similar that I haven't listed that further convey the point that it must be present at all times. Do we take a moment to think about our homes and how God is being shown in every aspect of our day? Because that's what the kids are seeing. Some would say that's easy to do. Obviously, it's not easy to do. Otherwise, we'd all be doing it perfectly. It takes initiative. It takes drive. It takes determination. It takes forethought. It's not easy. But it can be done. Now let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most are familiar with this verse. Now I think in reading this verse, it's important to remember that this is a proverb, not a prophecy. Unfortunately, not every child that grows up in a godly home is going to grow up to follow the Lord. But, 
It's much more likely to happen if the household is striving to put God first. It's much more often that a child is going to reflect the views and the moral compass of you and your household when they get old. Which is why the first few years of a child's life, the years that typically are spent with their mother, is so important. It's placing that cornerstone of that foundation that that child is going to build on each and every day of their life. It's that important. Now let's consider verse 7. Calling this verse 7a. And it reads that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Set their hope in God. What's that mean? means that we've got to teach our children to trust God. They've got to trust God. How do we accomplish that? How do we teach our children to trust God? See, to do this requires us to trust God ourselves. This is accomplished by doing just what we've discussed. Covering the stories of old. Making sure your child understands what took place, why it took place, and how God corrected whatever situation it was. You know, in these verses, they're speaking specifically of how Israel forgot about the Lord's work. And what do I mean by that? You know, it's easy to read these stories. Uh, in the Bible, as we do, we read about God parting the Red Sea, all of his people transversing across, Pharaoh's men and his army being destroyed when the Red Sea fell. We read stories about wandering in the wilderness and manna being provided. And the list can go on. And we read this and, and we're thinking, my goodness, how could God's people forget about these miracles? To us, they're just so incredible. Well, put yourself in their shoes. They're witnessing these miracles. God is consistently taking care of his people. It was more in line with being part of their life that God was going to provide. So how do they forget these things? They take them for granted. They take them from, for granted. Guess what? A lot of us do the exact same thing. We take God's blessings for granted. I'm going to start out on the macro, and you can take this down to your individual families in the, in the confines of your home, but consider, we live in a country, specifically, we live in the state of Texas. We have plenty of opportunity to work, to earn a living, provide food and shelter for our families. We come, we worship here this morning. We're not in fear of persecution. We recognize that this church has been meeting right here for years, and, and that has never been an issue. We recognize that it would be tragic to lose our job, but if we did lose our job, even currently in bad economic times, we would feel confident that we're going to be able to get another job we're going to be able to put food on the table. We're going to be able to provide for those we love, for our family. And that's when the economy's down, when the economy's booming. 
what can hold us back? We've just grown to accept that. That's a part of who we are. That's our culture. That's the life we live. But we know that we've got brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that they're worrying about where the next meal is going to come from. They're worried about, is the fact that I'm a Christian going to cost me my life today, or am I going to be thrown in jail, taken away from my family? They don't have these blessings. But how often do we take the opportunity to take the blessings that we have received from God and sit down and really convey that to our children so that they understand that this is not a given. This isn't a birthright. This is a blessing, and with that blessing, much is expected. It's easy to get caught up in what has traditionally always been in our lives and take it for granted because, well, it's, it's just always been. It's easy to take the God out of the blessing in the way we live our lives. We just look at it as that's life, that's the life we enjoy, leaving the fact that God has blessed us with that life that we enjoy. Perhaps it's not intentional. Perhaps it's the fact that we live crazy, busy lives. But at the end of the day, our actions speak louder than our words. Do our kids understand the blessings and what God is doing for us in our lives? Another verse I'd like for us to look at is Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And it reads, And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan for you, from before you until ye were passed over. And the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it, that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. You see, when, when God parted the Jordan for Israel to pass through, what did Joshua do? He sets up stones to commemorate what God had done for them. Tells us the purpose of that is so that generations to come are going to see these stones going to see that they're out of place, going to see that they're stacked up and say, what's that about? And for generations to come, it's going to be shared. So that God's work in their lives is remembered for generations to come. So my question is, what actions are you taking in your life to ensure that God's workings in your life are passed on for generations to come. Do we ever think about that? We see that Joshua did. You know, I would say that this actually isn't very hard to do, but again, what does it require? It requires our time. It requires forethought and initiative so that we can be confident that after we're dead and gone, our kids' kids' kids are going to look back and say, what was that about? They're going to ask questions, and more importantly, they're going to understand. 
We need to take the time to ensure that future generations understand the magnificence of God in our lives today, just as he was magnificent in the days of those that lived before us. Now let's continue with our passage. Let's take a look at 7b and verse 8 of Psalms chapter 79. It says, But keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We have to teach our children to obey. We've got to teach our children to obey. Again, we can read in Genesis 39, verse 9, There is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, we've got to teach our children by example. We are to be the example that they see in their life, and they seek, by nature of being our child, they seek to be just like us. You know, I think a, a good example of this, and it's, it's kind of an old analogy, but I remember it from, from a young age. I'm sure you all have heard it too. Back when we all had hard line phones. Talking about the bass and had the cord on it, and you had to stay within five foot of the phone, and everybody got to hear what you're talking about. Wasn't uncommon for that phone to ring in a lot of houses. And mom and dad to say, I'm wore out. Whoever that is, tell them I'm not here. Well, child to do that. Then lo and behold, a day or two later, you catch a child lying to you. It's not a big lie. It's just something little. And you choose to get upset. Why would you expect anything less? I guess today it would be the cell phone. They hear us get on the phone. They see it ring. They see us decline it because we don't feel like talking to that person. And then when they do hear us talking to the person, are we the one that says, yeah, I'm sorry, I was just real busy. I didn't have time to talk to you. Or are we honest and say, I just didn't want to talk to you. I'm not telling you that that's the approach you need to take, but you need to consider the fact that a little lie is still a lie, and if you're going to tell your child not to lie, don't let them find you lying. It's important that we be the example that our children need to move forward in their life. And consistency is absolutely essential in doing this. We must be consistent in what we do and why we do it. Consider Joshua 24, verse 15. And it reads, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, our children need to recognize that as for us in our house, we are going to serve the Lord. Consider when your child's sitting back quietly watching you, and that happens a lot more than we give it credit. As parents, we generally catch them doing it. It's not a bad thing. It's great that our kids are watching us. But there are many times that they're watching us, and we don't even recognize they're paying attention. They're like sponges. They just suck up everything we're doing. Right? What kind of example are we setting for them? 
You know that they see that we, we in public display a strong Christian value, wholesome. But yet when we come home, we operate differently. We conduct ourselves differently. You know, are we slow to anger, never raising our voice in public? But yet when we get home, we're fully yelling and heavy-handed and demanding comments to our spouse, to our kids. The people we're supposed to love most, is that us? Is our language and the way we talk at church and in public different than the words we choose to use behind closed doors or in private settings? The reality is our kids are watching every minute. They're listening to every word. And when we slip, it's a lot more than a slip. Because now we've justified the sin to that little person, that little soul. You know, the, the, the real question is, do we convey the love and compassion that we're supposed to have as Christians? Do we convey that outside our home as much as we convey it inside our home. Consistency. Our children need it. You see, these are the type of issues that shape our children. They shape their understanding of what God's word really means. Because that's what it means to you, Mom. That's what it means to you, Dad. To you, grandparents family, friends, uncles, aunts. And it shapes the way they view their faith as they get older. And if they're building on that foundation with bad examples, because we're not doing what we should be doing at home, we as parents are potentially setting that young soul up for failure. We've got to constant, constantly be diligent in what our children see in the example we make. We've got to be focused on making sure they understand that our God is an awesome God. He works in our lives every day. He's performing miracles, and he is doing things to take care of us. Why? Because we're God's children. They need to understand the joy that comes from being a Christian. They need to know the stories of old and how miraculous some of the stuff was. Wouldn't it have been awesome to see it? But they also need to understand how miraculous God is in our lives. Whenever all the cards are against us, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, yet you come out smelling like a rose. That wasn't your doing, and that wasn't luck, and your child needs to know that was God because he loves you. You know, we are blessed. We are blessed in this church family. We're comprised of mothers of every phase of life. We have young moms. We have young women. Women that dream of getting married and having kids. We've got older grandparents that are not now spiritually influencing their grandkids, but they're influencing their great-grandkids. We've got women all in between, but you know what? We have fathers all in between also. We have brothers and sisters up here that love our kids as though they are theirs. And we all play a vital role in making sure that the foundation of our youth is set solid. Because at the end of the day... It's that foundation that's going to build that young person up.
to take charge and lead the church in the years to come. And the beautiful part of being a mom is that the mom gets to be the first influencer of that child in the womb and typically the first few years of that child's life. They are going to have the most profound impact on that child. And that is going to carry on for the lifetime of that child and generations to come. And that is a blessing. That's a reward like none other on this earth. So although God has has gifted all of us with children, parents that is, that's a gift that comes with a great responsibility. But through that responsibility, the reward is just awesome. You know, we are to honor our mothers this day, just as we're to honor our moms every other day of the week, every other day of the year. We honor our fathers and our grandparents, our elders, those that are older, and mentor us. Why? Because they are honorable, and God tells us to. But the beautiful part of being a Christian mom, a Christian dad, a Christian grandparent, brother or sister, is the fact that God gave us that responsibility and he gave us the instructions to do it and accomplish the task at hand. He gave us his word, and his word doesn't fail. We've been given all the tools we need to succeed. We've just got to invest the time, and we've got to make it a priority. So this morning... I haven't spoken on first principles. But first principles and being baptized for the remission of sin is absolutely pertinent in being a good Christian parent, a good Christian mother. If you're here this morning and you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, yet you feel you've been sufficiently taught, then I'm going to encourage you not to delay and to come forward and take care of that. Arise out of the water to walk a new life. Or perhaps you're here this morning. You recognize that you've made some tough decisions in your life that you're struggling to get over. Well, you know what? God's blessed you with a church family that cares about you, loves you, and would love to assist you. So if you, by chance, are in either class, I would kindly ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Broken heart, so your passing.